You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Most enterprises use disparate systems to manage spend. The result? A reactive manual approach. CFOs and controllers, you deserve better. You deserve a unified spend platform from Brex. Brex makes it easy to proactively control spend with cards, spend management, travel, and bill pay in one place. You can create budgets with controls built in, track and adjust in real time to keep teams accountable, and automate compliance to close the books faster. Ready to control your spend with one unified platform? Visit Brex.com. As we go from Black History Month into Women's History Month, Carrie Burnans is the perfect person for that transition. She is a strong individual who knows who she is, what she wants, and usually how to get there. That's not to say it's been all smooth sailing for her, either personally or professionally. But she never lost her faith or belief in what's possible. I've seen so many situations in my life where miracles came and they were proven to be true. They existed. I had hope. Because I, I, so many times that I was hopeless and then hope came through. Hello, I'm Patrick Oliver Jones, actor and singer and host of Why I'll Never Make It, or Win Me for short. Featuring actors and creatives sharing the struggles and challenges of a career in the performing arts. And another important aspect of this podcast is to bring you specific artist resources that can help you further your career. There's even a page on the website specifically devoted to this. And so going forward, once a month, I'll share with you one of these resources to highlight those creatives who are helping all of us make it. This week's conversation is brought to you by We Audition an online video community for actors where you can rehearse scripts or sides with the reader, record auditions, and meet casting directors and other industry professionals. As self-tapes have become so prevalent, especially during this pandemic, I've needed a reader now more than ever. And We Audition has been a convenient and supportive place to find someone to help me read through scripts and record self-tapes. To learn more about We Audition, subscribe to the monthly WinMe newsletter and you'll get 25% off a We Audition membership. Go to whyillnevermakeit.com, sign up for the newsletter, and a special promo code will be sent right to you. I am so grateful to We Audition for sponsoring this month of episodes and offering a special deal to listeners of this podcast just like you. This month marks one year since COVID-19 hit full gear and shut down theaters across the country. We all know too well that it's been a devastating time for actors and arts workers everywhere. It's, it's been a heartbreaking reminder that so much of our business is out of our hands. The act of booking this show or that show can seem so arbitrary and can be rather frustrating even in the best of times. But... This pandemic has also shown us something else, that we actually have more power and control over our careers than we might think. Carrie Burnans is one of those actors proving this point day in and day out. She isn't just an actress, she's also trained in martial arts, stunt work, and body movement in addition to theater. Growing up, she not only performed in plays and dance recitals, but also competed in track and field. 
She's been a world traveler and now speaks six different languages. I mean, there's simply no way to pigeonhole Carrie into this box or that genre. And it is this variety in her life and in her work that has created so much opportunity for her. And that's why I'm so grateful to the CEO of We Audition, Darren Darnborough, for introducing me to Carrie. She's what's called an MVP for We Audition, and in part two of our conversation, she and I will discuss how this service has helped us both prepare for auditions as well as the other services it provides. But for today, we focus on what drives her to stay so busy and motivated. We talk about her difficult childhood and the rejections that we all face as actors, as well as her joyful moments of booking Black Panther and creating her own nonprofit to empower others. Well, hello, Carrie. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. My pleasure. I'm happy to be here. Now, you are one busy lady. I think that would be an understatement. You certainly have a lot going on with the uh, the different career paths that you've chosen. And and it makes me think back to, you know, whenever I was being being coached or taught, it's like you you need to pick a path. You need to pick that one thing that you want to do and focus on that. But it it seems like you have kind of broken that mold <laughs> and <laughs> focusing on a lot of things. Yeah, no, I have um I think that I definitely built some foundations and like one or two things. And then I started adding a little bit, bit more of like arsenal to my, I guess you could say to my package. And then I developed new skills and other stuff that then I became like super in love with that also create created careers of themselves. Yeah, you, you definitely have a, a lot of different options when it comes to finding work. I assume that that has benefited you, especially with COVID and, and that limiting so much of our work. Yeah, 100%. I, it's helped me substantially because when um, acting opportunities wasn't there, stunt opportunities were. And when stunt opportunities were, weren't there, acting opportunities or voiceovers were. So it's definitely helped me out substantially. I'm very grateful. And I don't take it lightly that I am working and I know others are not. And I pray that everybody gets jobs, honestly. Oh, believe me. Yeah. Here in New York, we are certainly waiting with bated breath for theater to come back. So that's certainly something we're all, we're all hopeful for. Now, with the busyness that you have and the, uh, you know, the constant go, go, go that you're on, do you feel like it ever distracts you or keeps you from other projects or goals that you want to accomplish? That's a really great question. And that's something I've been asking myself um, this week as well. And maybe last week, maybe because my birthday's tomorrow and I'm like, ah, um, I would say no would be my immediate answer. Um, and then sometimes I feel like, yes, I say no, because if I get booked on a project for, let's say, on a stunt job, I am like super focused on that. That's my priority when I'm on set. Before set, I want to make sure I'm highly prepared and then um, if I'm not doing something, for example, during that day or I have an off day, then I do focus on other things that support my overall me being carried. But I feel like that's the other thing, too, right? I get a lot of voiceover auditions as well as like theatrical TV and they come in so fast. And then what happens is, is that my schedule and my days are going to continue to go no matter what. So I have to like, all right, make this a priority and focus on this now versus in pushing it in the back or focus on it later. Now, you had mentioned both acting and stunt work. What is the preparation or how does it differ for each of those jobs? I would say that there's some really 
hardcore differences. And that would probably be like acting requires a lot more mental acuity, just sitting down, breaking down scripts, really using um, a lot of creativity and that flow. And uh, with stunt work is more physical body. It's definitely using a lot of structure and committing to it and reminding yourself that it has to be very precise. Um, if you're doing like a high fall or, you know, moves sometimes need to be one, two, three, four, two, three, four, very calculated. But then you also allow yourself to flow and to just get into a rhythm with the fight choreography you're learning or the stunts that you're doing. Um, so the similarities between stunts as well as acting is the discipline, is the consistency, is about the work and building upon that. You need a base and you need something to build upon because when you get on set, no matter if you're doing acting or you're doing stunt work, there is a thing where the director throws out and says, hey, we want you to improv as you go into the scene. And you want to be like the comfortability of you improving the scene before you get into it should be like a drop of a dime, easy. Or maybe the stunt coordinator tells you like, hey, we want you to add a right hook at the end of that choreography for number one. Or we want you to throw a kick instead of a punch. And you need to be able to adjust to those directions really quickly. And I think that that comes with being disciplined and also the longevity of you putting in that work and building upon that. Because with the stunt work, does it ever interfere or do you find it harder to then act as a stunt person? Um, to me, it's not harder. It's definitely, it definitely requires a lot more focus and a lot more training and discipline. Like with acting, if you just decided like I'm physically exhausted and tired, you can kind of like, you don't have to get up and move around, you know, but with stunts, you need to get up and move around. Your body and flexibility needs to be on point. And also because I have years of experience with being an athlete and running and playing soccer and every sport in the book since I was like two years old, that physical movement comes a little bit more natural and easier for me than the typical person. So I think it would be dependent on the person, honestly. And did you stumble into stunt work or was that something you were more deliberate about? I love that word stumble. I did stumble into the stunt work because <laughs> I felt like he was stumbling a fall, you know. Um, but yeah, I stumbled into it. I, I came to L.A. I never knew that stunts actually existed. If I knew that it existed, I probably would have done it a, a while ago. And I had um, I want I always said I wanted to be a black girl. James Bond. I was like, I speak six languages. I can act now. I need to learn how to do stunts so I can be cast in them in a James Bond movie. <laughs> Basically, I went to like the SAG one and I went to this seminar thing and then I learned about like stunts and then the vice president of SAG, Jane Austen, pulled me aside and gave me a whole list of things that I needed to do. And then before I knew it, I started training in my first month. They were just saying like, you know, your size um, being five, five and a half, five, six, 105 pounds is really a niche in the stunt world. And there's girls that you can double that they really need right now. And I ended up booking my first stunt job within weeks. And then I kind of kept it going and became like a roller coaster ride. So instead of me waiting tables or doing Uber and Lyft to maintain like income, I started working stunts and it gave me more acting opportunities as well. And it also just like it did. I, I love stunts. I love stunt doubling actors that, you know, doing their action. And I also love doing my own action a part of the scene and being the girl in the bar fight. Somebody hits me, I hit him back, I get knocked down, I get back up and, you know, it's just fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I would imagine that that does double your opportunities, at least, because when they need not just an actress, but they also need that stunt woman, then Carrie's ready. Absolutely. Exactly. I'm the package. Why not go with Carrie? (laughs) (laughs) And in honing that package, it brought Carrie one of the biggest opportunities of her career to be a part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. First with Black Panther and then Avengers Endgame. That came about, I was at the time I was training, um, learning both staff and all these different weapons and stuff. And I was like posting my stuff on social media at the time. And I was just super confident, although I wasn't 100% all the way there, but I was posting videos of my language skills and accents. And people saw it and people started referring me to jobs. And I didn't know they were doing this. I, I didn't know until after I got the call for Black Panther. But um, my name got referred all the way up to Ryan Coogler, which was the director of Black Panther. And he was looking for additional Dora Milaje for the film. Basically, I found out after I filmed that it was a couple people that referred me. It was one of his friends that said, oh, I know a girl that does acting in stunts and she would be perfect um, to portray one of these Dora Milaje characters. And then someone also that did stunts was like, oh, Carrie's been doing both stuff. And they were saying my name in a room that I I never walked in before. And that referral got me a call at six in the morning from uh, 678, which is Atlanta, Georgia area code number, um, asking me, was I willing to shave my head bald? And was I available for these dates to come to Atlanta to film? And ultimately, at first, I wasn't willing to shave my head bald. I was just like, can you give me a moment to think about it? Um, But ultimately, I did say yes, of course. And that opportunity from Black Panther led me to doing Avengers um, a year later. And I got to portray Adora Milaje and do some stunt acting and a lot of cool stunts. A lot of it did not make the film, but it was great. Now, if you're not familiar with the Black Panther universe, that term Adora Milaje may be new to you. They are actually a team of women who serve as special forces within the fictional African nation of Wakanda. And the name Dora Milaje actually translates to adored ones, and they are picked from rival tribes to serve as the Black Panther's personal guards and ceremonial wives in training. In listening to your story, it's very interesting the different steps that you took that really you didn't think you were auditioning or you weren't planning on this leading anywhere. You were more just showing off your skills and the things that you were learning. And yet that put you in rooms, as you said, that you didn't know about. It put you in rooms that you weren't auditioning for. So really it came about just through you putting in work outside of, you know, focusing on this audition or focusing on that audition. It, it definitely did. And you know what? It's a lot of opportunities have come through that way. I would say that out of the 100% of the jobs that come through for me, at least 40 to 50% of them are straight referrals from other people that's mentioning my name because they either saw something on social media or they have worked with me in some way or met me. So I would say, like, do the training, put your stuff out there. And also, like talk to people, get to know, build these relationships and let people know what you got going on. Not that you want to brag about it, but it's just a part of it because you you need champions and allies and these people don't have to know you, but it's good for them to know what you're doing and that you're you're doing just like stuff just to improve yourself, period. 
Right, right. It's, it is all about being a well-rounded person. And so much of your growing up from the different places you've lived, the, the languages that you've learned, the places you've traveled, so much of that seems to have built up within you this multifaceted, multi-experienced person that you can bring into a room, whether it's an actor or as a stunt person. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, it's so interesting and so fascinating that because I I had a very interesting childhood and I moved around a lot, like you mentioned, and I've recently been auditioning for so many roles that have like these characters that are so multidimensional and have these crazy but beautiful like beginnings of their life. Their upbringings are not traditional. And I've been able to use some of my experiences with the way I grew up, you know, within bringing these characters to life within these auditions. And also, I think, too, like moving around a lot, one of the things that it allowed me to do is I can make friends very easily. And I I'm not like uncomfortable being in a new environment because I was always the new girl. So it's just like you learn to fit in or you just be bored and sit out by yourself. But that wasn't me. <laughs> As an actor, that is certainly something that we need to be able to, you know, meet a new cast and and fit in, whether it's the, the, the director, the creative team, as well as the the different auditions. So it's it's all about meeting new people, making that good first impression. But I would imagine that growing up as a child, it wasn't that easy. Oh no, it wasn't. Um, you know, I, I mean I often tell my mom this and <laughs> my mom hates me talking about this all the time, but yeah, it wasn't easy. I was like, I, I hated being the new girl at every school. I mean, I hated it. I screamed, cried. I'm tired of moving. I'm exhausted. Why do we have to do this? And then you go to a new school and then people, and I used to have really curly long hair and my hair is a little shorter now just because of the films I do and they shave my head off. But people used to pat me on the head and call me a poodle or people used to be like, oh my God, this girl with curly hair thinks she's everything. And it'd be like my second day of school and kids were so mean until they got to know me and they thought I was the coolest person in the world after that. But <laughs> it was hard. And, but I'm happy that I pressed through honestly. And I guess optimism came along the way. And then I realized like, oh, wow. Sometimes I, two things. Sometimes I was like kind of jealous of the kid that lived in their same house their entire life. And then in one respect, I'm like, dang, I've seen a lot of the world. But I didn't think it was that cool back then. I think I started thinking it was cool once I was like 18, 19, 20. I'm in college and I can talk about my experiences in comparison to what we're studying or learning and have to educate people on the geography of the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> now, what was it that led you and your mom around so much, uh, moving to these different places? So it was me, my mom, and my younger sister, which is a year, nine months younger than me. Basically, my mom had me as a teenager, and she was trying to figure out her life after her and my dad split. And um, she was just a young, you know, early, like late teen, early adult trying to like, get our stuff together and it's crazy because I'm like oh my god like I'm in my mid-20s now and I couldn't even imagine having two kids that are basically in school right now that I also have to pick up and then also have to manage everything I got going on so when I look back I'm like dang lady how you do this but I can understand like she was like in and out of relationships she was trying to figure her life out and I know she always had us like me and my sister you know at heart 
she told us each move was to move to a better situation, you know, better environment and all that. To us, we were just moving around right when things were getting comfortable for us when we were making friends. So we hated it. She thought it was better for us. So there was always butting heads. So we were like staying at different friends' houses that she had, or we were really in transition, homeless at moments. It was like, it was really crazy. And she had like two, three jobs. Like she would go in and out trying to figure things out until she went back to college. And then things started changing for us. And we lived with our grandma for a bit and other people. And then she, then she got remarried when I was like 15. And then things started changing. And then she started making some real good money. But that was also after I was like the Goodwill kid, basically. Like I had the holy pans and I'm talking about holes in the pants before they were holy um, and cool. And I, I was just like, dang, you wait till I was 15 to have a cool life. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it certainly sounds like that experience and your mother going through the different places and the, the struggles and the accomplishments that your mother had definitely rubbed off on you as far as how you live your life. Oh, thousand percent rubs off. Like I, I think I'm such, I'm so much more grateful. I think that for everything, like I wake up in the morning, I'd be like, oh, I'm awake. Thank you, God. I feel my toes. I feel my feet. I have my own place that I live. I, we're not living paycheck to paycheck. Like I have not done that. I'm, I'm much more responsible because of what I went through. And I'm also much more grateful. And I'm also much more, I have a higher perspective, right? Like when people see homeless people, they think of a million different things. I think of like, this person was literally one paycheck or no paycheck away and they're homeless and they just needed some hope or they need some light or they just need a little, a little boost to get them going. And I often say too, you never know like the little encouragement that you give a young kid or a little, or an adult you know, or giving that $20 to them because they need gas, what that will do for them. Because I've seen so many situations in my life where miracles came and they were proven to be true. They existed. I had hope because I, I so many times that I was hopeless and then hope came through. So I just want to encourage people to like, to just spread some light, give some joy. You never know what anyone's going through because one of the things I did really well in my childhood I pretended that everything was okay until things became a Coke bottle and exploded and it wasn't okay. And then I had teachers there and other people that did reach out and did offer me this like light, but people didn't know what I was going through. People didn't know, like we just got our car that was filled with our stuff from moving. Like, you know? Yeah. You mentioned one of those miracles that came as you were growing up. Is there one that stands out or one that means a lot to you now? Oh my God, I, this leads into like my big give back, like what I love doing. Yeah, one of the miracles was I was 11 or 12. And I remember at the time I was playing, I was running track and I was also playing soccer and I really wanted a sports bra and I wanted some new underwear. And I would ask my mom like, mom, I really want a sports bra and I also need new underwear. And I, I wanted soccer cleats, like all these things that kids had in my school, but I didn't have them. I was wearing the same clothes that I've been wearing all year or the year before. And she just said, I don't have the money. Like, I don't have the money. You'll be okay. Blah, blah, blah. Or you don't need that. And um, I just felt like literally like if they're, all the sheep were black, I felt like the pink sheep, you know. And I had got selected for some program through the YMCA. And they said, oh, you guys were selected because you're honorable students or something. Um, and we're going on a field trip. So I'm like, okay, cool. So we go on this field trip. And the field trip 
is to Target. And I'm like, why are we going to Target? You know, and I just remember as a kid thinking like, what? And we walk into Target and then there's all these people standing there and it's like these football players and I guess some volunteers and I don't know who these people are. And they say, hey, everybody, you guys were specially selected students because you've been doing great work, blah, blah, blah. And you all just won a $500 shopping spree. And I'm like, what? You want a shopping spree? So I just dropped down to my knees and I am crying because I'm like, no way, no way. And they're, they're like, yes, yes. And I'm like, no way. And I am just crying and bawling. And they're like, you only have 45 minutes. You have to get up and go. And I'm like, 45 minutes. And I remember just grabbing a basket. They gave me this volunteer. I remember she had blonde hair white girl she's really pretty and she's just smiling at me and asking me my sizes and we're just running through target and i'm like oh my god we have to get my mom something we have to get this person something my teacher something and i'm trying to get everybody something and she's like what do you want for yourself and i'm like oh my god a sports bra and i get sports bra and i get all these underwear and i just get all these things and i just like all i remember that moment i was so happy and i was like I have to do this for someone else. When I get older, when I become grown, when I have money, I don't care. And I'm so thankful to say that four years ago, I started my nonprofit, CBC, and we started our big give back during the holiday season where we take kids on a shopping spree. And we started with 10 kids our first year. And then our last year, um, which is this past December, we took 75, no, 76 kids on a shopping spree. And we also gave them food baskets and we gave them hair care products and took them on experience to five-star restaurant. And it was like to have the look on these kids' faces. And I started, when I say I started four years ago, I wasn't making all the money in the world. I had, yes, I did Black Panther, but I still, I mean, that was a good 15, 20K. I don't remember, like, that was some good money, but I, I used money out of my own pocket just to get started. And I just knew even if I took five kids or 10 kids, I wanted to do something. And I partnered up with one of my best friends, Candace Renee Rice, to make that happen. And now we're like doubling the number every year. And I'm grateful. I would assume that you see yourself in some of the kids that you get to help. Oh, absolutely. Oh my God. I, I see myself and the crazy things I see, like some crazier situations. A lot of the kids that we give back in these programs most of them have lived in their same city for a while. Very few of them have moved around as much as I did. But in their situations, though, like we had a family of six or eight that they lost their mom because she was like gone down in front of a yard. And then the year before, um, we had a family of five that was burned down like two days before this, the give back and just imagining like those levels of um of heights of just like pain and despair and of losing hope and providing hope for these people um, was incredible. And, and even like we, we did, we met families that were one or two paychecks away or didn't have money for rent. They were three, four months behind on rent and we were able to help them get to, you know, current and paying them like three months ahead so they can get a head start. Cause that's all they need is they need that. They need that hope. And, um, it's so sad. I, I remember just crying so much this year because it was a hectic year because it was COVID and I didn't have as much money as I did the years prior, but we had this big goal 
and we wanted to reach it and thankful to like a lot of our, our sponsors we partnered up with and residuals hallelujah that came in we were able to make it happen it reminds me of that saying you know there but for the grace of god go i it it's a reminder of gratitude. It's a reminder of helping others in the place of their need. And it seems like you are meeting people in the place of their need. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's really beautiful. I agree. I say meet them where they're at. They People just need hope. They just need to see the light. They just need, they need to know that they're not alone battling whatever they're going through and that somebody else has been there. Because when I tell these kids like my story, they're like, what? No way. They just see the movie lights, the cameras, these credits, and they think like, and often so many people on social media think the same thing. They think that I'm some rich girl that's been like wealthy my entire life or something. I'm just like, what? Like, y'all just don't know. Like, I was frugal. I was eating cream of chicken and rice and ramen noodles, like cooking like hot dogs and having bread on them, you know, like, no. This idea of going beyond social media and really getting to the heart of who a person is and what they do has been somewhat of a theme of this podcast lately, but it's certainly one that bears repeating. On the one hand, we want to share those highlights and happy moments and present this wonderful image online, while on the other hand, we can look at others and see the ways that we don't measure up, supposedly, how we're falling short, and how others are just so much more successful than we are. But whether it's Justin Guarini on American Idol or Jeffrey Owens on a hit TV sitcom, The Cosby Show, with every high, there comes a low, a moment where our, our life and our career isn't what it could be or what it used to be. And so that's why, as great as performing and being an artist can be, there has to be more to us. There has to be more of a reason why we get up each and every day. Carrie filled her life with sports and travel, and her nonprofit is helping others in a meaningful way. These are the kinds of things that can fill our thoughts and our days when performing seems too far off in the distance, too far out of our reach and out of our control. That is certainly something that I hope this podcast is helping with, giving you a different look at this business and creative endeavor that we've chosen, and showing you how to maintain yourself emotionally, financially, mentally. I certainly do my best to bring on guests each and every week that are a heck of a lot smarter than me. So I've compiled a lot of their nuggets of wisdom into a free ebook called Creative Wisdom. And anyone who signs up for the monthly Win Me newsletter will not only get the 25% off We Audition, but will also get a copy of that book. So sign up today at whyillnevermakeit.com. Well, thank you for listening to me and Carrie today. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, in charge of writing, editing, and producing this podcast. Music in this episode is by John Bartman and Blue Dot Sessions. Why I'll Never Make It is a part of the Helium Radio Network and a member of the Broadway Makers Alliance. Join me and Carrie for part two of our conversation as we talk more about Why I'll Never Make It.
Most enterprises use disparate systems to manage spend. The result? A reactive manual approach. CFOs and controllers, you deserve better. You deserve a unified spend platform from Brex. Brex makes it easy to proactively control spend with cards, spend management, travel, and bill pay in one place. You can create budgets with controls built in, track and adjust in real time to keep teams accountable, and automate compliance to close the books faster. Ready to control your spend with one unified platform? Visit Brex.com. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. <laughs> 